Amen. I hope y'all don't expect me to bust out in song like Brother Bradley just did. I heard you could sing a little. That's pretty good, right? Amen. Brother Bradley, our executive pastor, our former worship pastor at one time. So he's he's not leaving now He because he's offended. He's going to teach a connect group. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, and we'll get there in just a moment. I want you to know something on the front end. I... Every week, I, I'm just simple-minded, so every week I just pray and ask the Lord, what do you want me to say? And I know we've got a series that works through four Sundays, but I still do that with every beginning of the week. I just ask God what he would have me to say and ask God to just make it plain to me so that I can make it plain to you. And um, I want you to know that going in as we begin a new series called Citizen Christian. This is an important week. I understand that. I know you understand that. Those who are of age and registration have an earthly responsibility to vote to vote for elected officials that will make laws or enforce laws and it will affect our lives and this responsibility that we have is a gift it's an exercise of freedom freedom that was bought and paid for with the lives of soldiers men and women noble men and women throughout our history so with all that being said i am proud to be an american citizen i'm i'm definitely confident and comfortable in saying that I stand at attention when we present in the colors at any time they are presented because it makes me think about the sacrifice that was given so that I could live and raise my family in freedom. When the Olympics are on TV, I want the United States to win everything every time. I mean, I want us to win gold, silver, and bronze no matter what it is. I want to wear and do wear red, white, and blue at the 4th of July. I appreciate the diversity and the democracy of our nation. I'm honored to live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. So I care about this election. I care about the nation and the future of our nation, the future that my kids will live in, Lord willing. And I suspect all of those feelings will not change. I suspect those will stay the same for the rest of my life. But while my country is certainly my care and my concern, there is a kingdom that I'm a part of. Are you hearing me? There is a kingdom that I am a part of that will always capture and demand my attention, demand my affection. It will demand my allegiance over and above even the country that I love. Lord, would you guide us into all truth today? I pray, O oh God, that I would be obedient just to share what you've put on my heart. Lord, it's my desire that our church be after you, that we would seek to make you known in our life and in our conversation, that we would work for your glory and the good of others. And I pray, O oh God, today that your truth would speak louder than anything we've heard yet. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're there in John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38, I want to set this up for us. Jesus has been arrested. He has been betrayed by Judas, and he has been arrested by the temple guard, and taken into custody under the cover of darkness by the light of torches. And the, he is then taken bound to the religious authority and the high priest, and he is questioned. And, and from there, without guilt or charge, he is then bound up again and sent before the Roman governor Pontius Pilate in his headquarters in the wee hours of the morning. And what we're about to read is the conversation that Pilate has with Jesus, a government official, before Jesus, the King of Kings, before the crucifixion of Christ. And we'll start reading here in John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. 
I've asked you to turn there. Maybe I should turn there too. Here we go. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. Are you the king of the Jews, he asked him. And Jesus replied, is this your own question? Or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted. Your own people and their leading priests brought, me, brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate answered him, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. The following statement that I'm about to make to you is based on what we've just read, this passage, but it's also based on the whole of Scripture, and it sets the tone for the message today. Jesus is not an elected official. Jesus is the king. And he's not a king. He is the king. And if you have turned from yourself and turned to God by placing faith in Jesus the Christ, then he is your king. Amen? Revelation chapter 17 verse 14 says, Jesus is Lord of all lords and king of all kings. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Again, if you have called upon the name of the Lord to be saved, for Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, he is your king. So church, today is just a reminder for all of us uh, of our king. Number one, there's four things that we're going to be done. Number one, our king has character. He has character. Today, today we often hear when we think about voting and the options that we are given to vote, there's something that we have even said or things that have been said like this. I guess I'm going to choose between the lesser of two evils. When I think of that, and you've probably heard this too, but when I think of that, that means that you're still electing evil if you choose the lesser of two. But I understand the sentiment because the sentiment is that you want a person that you elect to be a person of high character because he will be responsible or she will be responsible for making decisions that affect the lives of people. But what I'm not talking to you about today is that Jesus has a little bit of character. What I'm saying to you is he is evil is absent from him. He has all character. If you notice in verses 29 and verse 30, the scripture says, So Pilate, the governor, went out to them. As they were bringing Jesus bound up to the governor, he says, What is your charge against this man? And listen to their response. We wouldn't have handed him over to you if he wasn't a criminal. He wouldn't be here if he did something wrong. Well, what did he do? Well, here he is. Yeah, what did he do? We brought him to you, didn't we? What did he do? is what Pilate is asking him. And then if you look in verse 38, he concludes he is not guilty of any crime. Our king has all character. Not just some character, not just high character, but holy character. Jesus was on trial to fulfill Scripture, not because he had done anything wrong. And I don't mean not guilty of anything wrong and punishable by death. I mean not guilty of anything ever at all. If, if don't, don't have a hard time... When, when, a lot of times we are thinking of people in godly terms. Jesus is the only one who is without sin. In Isaiah chapter 53 verse 9, the scripture says, He had done no wrong and he had never deceived anyone. Not one. 
So when we think about ourselves, if, if we're thinking and considering who we are before God, and the Scripture says that He had done no wrong, He's never deceived anyone. If any of us have told a lie and I asked you to stand up, then I'm already up, so that sets the tone, right, for what we all agree together on. This is who we are, that we are deceivers. We have told half-truths. We've told full lies. But Jesus, our King, has done nothing wrong, never deceived anyone. 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there's no sin in him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which we all know and love, For God who made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we may be right before God through Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might be right before God. See, Jesus is not just a sacrifice. He is the sacrifice. He is the perfect Lamb of God that took take upon the sin of the entire world so that we, by faith in Him and repentance from sin, would be right with God. Our King has all character. He is holy. Therefore, in His holiness, Jesus is, and I, I, this bears being repeated and reminded today, Jesus is the moral and ethical standard of our day. I'm not talking about Jesus like He's a dead man. Jesus is the King of kings that lives and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is still the moral and ethical standard. Jesus is the law. Jesus is the policy. This is the word for the church today that God has given me to give to you. Now catch this. Jesus in his perfection took our sin upon himself and died a sacrificial death so that we may be saved. We are now, who are believers in Christ, are citizens of heaven, the Bible says. Don't forget it, church. Just don't forget it. That's all I'm saying. I've yet to find any candidate with any kind of plan as good as that one. And any candidate that, that would make this promise could not fulfill it because he or she is not perfect. And they are not chosen in order to do that. Sometimes we act like the hope of the morality of our nation is based on the next elected leader who he himself or herself is also in need of salvation before a holy God. So just keep it in mind. This is your word for the day through the first point. Elect leaders, don't exalt them. Elect leaders, don't exalt them. Because Jesus has all character. He is the only one that is completely separate from sin. Our king has all authority. Pilate asked Jesus in verse 33, he said, Are you the king of the Jews? And Pilate was trying to find guilt in Jesus. He was trying to catch him in a wrong. He was trying to listen for what he had done wrong. And what he was at, well, the reason why he was asking him was because if you are a king and you're coming up against the Roman Empire, then I'm going to have to deal with you. If you're trying to lead a, a, a revolt, an insurrection, then, then I need to know that because I've got to deal with that. And that's why he was asking. And then Jesus in verse 36 actually answered him, and he began to speak of his kingdom. And basically what Jesus was saying is, yes, I'm a king with the kingdom. Jesus has all authority. Because Jesus was not just a king, and he was not just the king of the Jews. Jesus is the king of kings. I know where we live and what type of government we have. But make no mistake, church, this is a monarchy. And it's an absolute monarchy. For if we are citizens of heaven, we are subject to the rule and authority of the King of Kings. When I went to, uh, when I went to Africa with, with Brother Dusty um, last year, 
we would go and our missionary partner, one of the missionary partners that, that we in the giving supports and sponsors as we take the name of Jesus to the nations, he, we, would, we would be in places and places that we were to speak or to preach. And Brother Peter Merwila would, would introduce us and he would introduce Brother Dusty first and he would be like, and there's this other guy, Andy John. You know, like, and he would introduce Brother Dusty and, and he would say, this is, the, this is the pastor from America. This is the man that we've been waiting to hear the word of God from. And everybody was like, oh, we've been waiting on you. It's so good to see you. And then he would be like, and this is Andy John King. This is his other guy that came to also talk a little bit. But here's something interesting that happened. When he would introduce me and say my name, when he said, this is Andy John King, the people's reaction there was not as I thought. They would be like, oh, my goodness. It's so good to have you. This is wonderful that you're here in our presence. And I was like, well, all right, what's up with that? What's going on with that? Because this is not the usual reception when we travel together, right? And, and he said, well, here's the deal. He said, in their culture, they still have an order of authority where they have a system of chiefs that are over their people groups. And chief in our language is synonymous with your last name, King. So when I introduce you, they think you have a special designation where you come from. And I was like, well, all right. You know? <laughs> like this is, hey, everybody. <laughs> right? There's no special designation, but there's a connection. When we hear the name of our king, and it's mentioned in a way that is respectful and in a way that it provokes all the Holy Spirit inside of us and something inside of us, our heart should prick and go, that's right, that's my king. That is my savior. That is my Lord. I will be free from the grave based upon his name. His name has all authority. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And something within us ought to be like, that's, that's right. We perk up when we hear it. And when it's mentioned wrong, and God forbid this church and its members who recognize Jesus and praise him on Sunday, cuss him on Monday through Saturday. Because when we hear it mentioned in a wrong way, something inside of us also should be like, now that ain't right. Because you're taking the Lord God's name in vain and you're not using it the way you're supposed to. We are speaking of our King, King Jesus, the one who created us, lived for us, died for us, and rose again for us. He is the ultimate authority and he has all authority. And, And if you're here today and have known him for a while, then you'll bend your knee and confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you'll do so willingly. But based upon what I see in the scripture, it doesn't matter at some point whether you believe or you don't because every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord of all lords, king of all kings. Now it is God's desire that you do that willingly. It is his desire that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God wants you to be saved. And he wants to take over your life because he knows what's best for me and you. He has all authority. We might as well just let him have it. Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. The Bible says, He, Jesus, the Son of Man, was given all authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal and it will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Yes, 
Willingly or unwillingly, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because his rule and reign is eternal, his power is matchless, and his word is to be obeyed. He has all authority. And we should know and promote this, that Jesus' obedience that he calls for is flawless in its giving. Meaning this, that what God calls us to obey is best for us. Sometimes we, we don't understand that, and our flesh works against it. And my authority as a parent is, is not so that I can establish my reign and rule with an iron fist over my children, but it's so that my children will thrive under the leadership of their parents. So this is why we give them commands. And I would encourage you, as you're reading your Bibles this week, church, amen, as we are reading the Word of God through the week, I want you, when you read God's Word, to ask this question, is there a command to obey? And write it down and mark it up. Is there a command to obey? And when you see that command from God in Scripture, God has his best, his glory in mind and the best interest of you in mind when he gives us that command. So that we may reflect something that matters, amen? Not just feeling, but faith in an almighty God. The Scripture says, so that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. This is all inclusive. The gospel is the most inclusive thing there is. Every nation, every language, every race would obey him. You just got to come to God on his terms. See, we, we see these things and we think to ourselves, yes, if the world would just get this and act right, everything would be better. This whole thing, if they would just do what God says, and then the Holy Spirit of God reminds us of ourselves, if you would just do what I say, like I, I get that too, amen? But we see that and we think, we think man, this... this this world should know better. Well, lost people don't know better. You see, there, there are many who have yet not believed upon the one true God, the holy God. Yet for some reason, we expect them to act right without knowing the truth. If we are truly desired for the world around us to be a better place, then we'll give them a holy example. Amen? We'll take the name of Jesus with us. Instead of grumbling and complaining and even cussing at them. And I hope that we are considering our own obedience to every part of God's word as much as we are hoping people would just get in line. The scripture says in 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, And we can be sure that we, listen to this, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. I'm glad you're at church, and that's great. But if we're not obeying the commands of God, we're not living in the truth. Glad to have your attendance. Glad to help you work it out. But what God's word is saying, we can say we are who we are all we want. But if we don't pay attention and give allegiance to the king, we're not in the kingdom. Verse 27 of this same chapter of Daniel says, His kingdom will last forever, and all rulers will serve and obey him. All of them. Do you see that? All rulers will serve and obey him. At the end of this election, this scripture will apply to whoever gets elected. His kingdom will last forever and all rulers will serve and obey him. There was a governor of a prominent state. This governor was up for re-election and he was working himself to the bone to get re-elected. He got up one morning and he was working so hard that he skipped right through breakfast. Worked so hard that he got to lunchtime and he was still getting after it, still soliciting votes, still working it real hard. And all of a sudden it got to the afternoon and he had not eaten all day long. He looked at his calendar 
And the next thing on his calendar was a church barbecue. Thank the Lord. Amen. So he shows up. He sees the end of the line moving forward, and he quickly jumps in line. He grabs a paper plate, greets everyone there. Hello, good to see y'all. Puts his paper plate out, and the lady, godly woman behind the table serving her church, gives him a piece of chicken. She puts the piece of chicken on the plate. Gosh, thank you so much. I am so hungry, he said. He was just like, oh, my goodness. I've been waiting to eat all day long. Been working so hard, time got away from me. But, ma'am, I would love to have one more piece of that chicken. She said, sir, I can't do anything for you. She said, I'm so sorry, but they've told me that I am only to give every single person just one piece to make sure everybody eats. And he said, I know, and you're doing such a great job of it, and I really appreciate that, but I, would, I sure would just... Listen, just one, a small piece, but just one more piece of chicken. I hadn't had anything to eat all day. And she said, sir, I am really sorry. I just can't do that for you. So we decided he would throw his weight around. And he kindly said, ma'am, I hear what you're saying. But do you know who I am? I am the governor of this entire state. And she smiled and she said, well, that's good to know. She said, do you know who I am? And he said, no, ma'am. She said, I am the governor of this chicken. And I've been told to tell you that you've got to move on down the line. At some point, we're all going to humble ourselves. It doesn't matter who's elected. Every ruler, every person, every person I'm looking at and the person you're looking at, we will bow to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Because Jesus, who is God, does not have just a little authority. He's got all of it. Because Jesus' authority is eternal. Even if you get everything that you want out of the exact candidate that you want, the candidate that at some point will take a knee before the sovereign Lord, the same as all the others. I want you to think of it this way because I'm saying this because we at times will champion the name of of a man who also suffers from sin, who will also bow his knee to the ultimate authority, And we've had one man's name or the other on our lips more than we have had the name of Jesus on our lips for some time. And so I want to remind you that if you champion any person above God, it's like you're giving a four-star ranking to a private. It's like you're wearing the jersey of a scout team quarterback. Yeah, there's a little honor there, I guess. But man, we sure are missing it because there's someone much greater. King Jesus has all authority. And honestly, it's time for our church, and I don't mean Lindsay Lane, I mean the universal church, to start acting like it. We are citizens of the kingdom. I understand our responsibility here. I care about it as much as you do, I promise. But we've got to keep it in proper perspective because regardless of what happens this week, our mission will still be at the pleasure of the king who has all authority. Our king has a kingdom... He has character, all character. He has authority, he has all authority. And he has a kingdom. Look at verse 36. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, Jesus says. Now listen listen to these words because this is what I was inspired to bring you at the beginning of this week. My kingdom is not an earthly kingdom, Jesus said. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom's not of this world. This is the words of Jesus. The kingdom that Jesus rules over is a spiritual kingdom that is within his presence in the life of believers. 
We've mentioned in recent weeks when Jesus started his earthly ministry, he mentioned in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. See what Jesus said there? The kingdom of heaven is near. Y'all let me stop and pray. Lord God, would you rid my mind of all distractions? Spirit of God, would you rid this place of all distractions? Lord, that we would tune into your word. And I just pray, oh Lord, that you would guide us into all truth. Change us where we need it in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture says, Jesus says, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Wherever the king is present, so is the kingdom. So this is why Jesus said this. Because Jesus lives, and, and since he died, resurrected, rose again, the Spirit of God comes to live in, within us. Therefore, the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, is within the life of every believer. Therefore, he rules over us as this spiritual kingdom. But one day, this spiritual experience is going to be a physical one. As Jesus returns, and the Scripture says, the nations will be gathered together in His presence, and those who have endured will be at His right hand. He is ruling now. It is, it is God's desire to have authority over us now. The Spirit of God is within us now, so that He may lead us and guide us away from sin. By Jesus saying that His kingdom was not earthly, and that it was not of this world, what He was telling to Pilate is, Listen, man, this is a whole lot greater than you even think you got it. Y'all, we, we talk about the Roman Empire in, in eighth grade world history. And Jesus was saying to a governor who represents one of the greatest empires in the history of our world, I know you think this is a big deal. I and my kingdom is not even of this world, man. It's eternal. It's, it's about truth. It's not about policy. This is what Jesus is, is bringing in. The kingdom of God does not exist to conquer land. The kingdom of God exists to conquer sin. The kingdom of God is not temporary. It's eternal. And because it is these things, it's above every other one. Even the one that we live in. Even the one that I would say that I love. The kingdom of God is above that because of the characteristics of the kingdom of God and because of the characteristics of the king. If, if it were temporary like all the other ones, Jesus said, well, they'd get up and fight for me. They would take a sword up. And, and in fact, one of those did that, right? And he cut somebody's ear off. And Jesus was like, we're not going to do that. Put the man's ear back on. And he put it back on. And everybody was like, whoa. And Jesus was saying, if this were a temporary thing, then my people would fight. And we would fight to advance for property and our way of life and our perspective. But listen, church, our battle is not a physical one. It's not a physical one. The scripture says that the battle that we are up against is a spiritual one. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This is what we are dealing with. So what do we do? Well, in worldly governments, you protest and you create policy. But in the kingdom of God, you pray. And you put on every piece of armor so that you are able to defend against the tricks of the devil. And you take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and you fight it with the holy truth of God. You know, this is bigger than we think it is. Much bigger. And we're giving it a lot. We're giving all of the election, we're giving all these things a whole lot of our time and attention. But again, what Jesus is saying, this is a whole lot bigger than that. 
I wonder, church, we have, we're having all these kind of rallies for both candidates on both sides. We've had all of these rallies for months and months and months to the point where you just get exhausted of it. And as we see that, we think to ourselves like they're having those because they're trying to affect change and they're trying to create a new way of life moving forward or to preserve a way of life moving forward. This is the reason they're having those rallies. Church, let me ask you something. If we had a rally right here for your candidate, how many of you come? I want you to answer that inside of your own heart. You ain't got to say it out loud. But let me tell you, if I told you just then that our biblical response and the way to fight against this spiritual enemy is to pray, if we had a prayer service, how many of us would come? Now I'm meddling, and I know it. I understand what I'm saying. Because as I've said to Lindsay Lane East in the past six years, whenever we have a prayer service at Lindsay Lane, no matter what campus it is, it's the least attended thing we have. The least attended. So either I need to be preaching these things, or we don't believe in it. If we really believe that this is a a war that we're in, a spiritual battle that we're in, then we'll pray as much as more as we swipe and read and talk about all these things. We'll pray and we'll take up the armor of God like it says in the Scripture. Because, man, we can't elect a candidate or make any kind of law that's going to change the heart of somebody. That's what God does. And so when we pray, we call on God who attaches himself to prayer to do what only he can do. Because only God can work inside the hearts of people. And take the stony, stubborn heart and change it to a pliable one. This is the truth of the Scripture. This is what God has given to me to say to you today. What should we do in response to this battle that is captivating our attention? We need to pray, man. We need to pray. We need to pray together. We need to pray individually. We need to know what the Word of God says it so we can use it as a sword. Allow me to show you what the early church did in Acts chapter 4 when they faced spiritual opposition. In Acts chapter 4, Jesus had ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit of God began to work, and the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman government, they were all still united against the followers of Jesus as they were trying to stomp out the Word of God and God's message from advancing. The truth that there's resurrection of the body and life everlasting, they were trying to stomp all that out. And they were unified in their effort to do that. And after two of their leaders had been arrested, they came back to the rest of the believers in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. This is what it said that they did. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. They said this in prayer. How did the church, the early church, deal with the uncertainty of their future? They prayed And they asked God to give them boldness to talk. To preach the word of God. This is what God's church, when when they were up against this this initial persecution, they, they did not go home and cover up. They did not hope for the best. They didn't dialogue about it. They didn't get on social media. Of course, they didn't have it. They don't get on social media and talk every second about these things. They got together and they prayed and they got their mind on the Word of God so that they could share it with somebody when they talked to them. That's what they did. I'm just telling you what the Word says. I work for the king. Our king has a kingdom. And if we are citizens of heaven, we are about the agenda of our king. 
And that's the last point. Our king has an agenda. Verse 37, Pilate said, so you're a king? And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Emphasis on a king. You say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world. And that's two things there. I was born as the humanity of Jesus and came into the world. That is the divinity of Jesus as Jesus existed before the world began. To testify to the truth. Jesus said, I, yeah, you say I'm a king. Actually, I came into the world, was born, came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. See, this was not about being a king that was a threat to the Roman Empire. This was not about being right. It was not about raising up a people to take over Rome. It was not about a way of life that we really treasure in our own culture and we're, we're really fighting hard to preserve it. It was much bigger than that. Jesus was saying, this is about God in the world, governor. I, I came to, to bring the truth. Jesus was introducing, as a special revelation of God, introducing God to the world, establishing the standard by which all nations, tribes, and tongues will be judged by. We will find in this election that God's truth, His truth, picks apart both sides of the aisle. And ladies and gentlemen, I would hope as, as the church, we don't dismiss either side for sin because we fly that flag. If it's sin, you've got to call a spade a spade because the word of God does and we work for the king. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the light, and no one comes to the Father but by me. In effect, he's saying, I am the basis on which all answers and all purposes are found. Jesus is like, Pontius Pilate, this is a whole lot bigger than what you think it is. This, I, I, came, I came to bring the truth, and truth isn't temporary. It always is. We still talk about it today. Truth always is. And what did Jesus say is the truth? Notice there. Jesus answers, I love this. Jesus answers this very plainly at the end of verse 37. Pilate said, so you're a king? And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is truth. You know, Pilate then asked, and Jesus answered it for him before he even asked, what is truth? Basically, what is truth? Jesus just told you. It's whatever he says it is. It's whatever he says it is. Those who love the truth testify that what I say is true. The word of God is true. In John chapter 17, verse 17, Jesus prayed for his followers and he said, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Christians, I want to encourage and challenge us with something today. This week, every day, before we wake up and get on our phone and receive the information that we normally do, before we turn on Fox News or CNN, before we look at any of this social media info alerts that are coming in, before we do that, don't do it. Read your Bible. I'm serious, and I'm not talking, you ain't going to read for an hour and a half. Read your Bible. Why would we do that, man? You're just getting legalistic. No, no, no. I challenge all of us to read our Bible so that we will be able to filter anything that comes our way by way of a headline through the truth. We will be able to react to whatever comes our way as a headline by the truth. We measure everything that comes up against this right here. Let's try it. See if it will affect your day. Just try it just because God's word says, teach them your word, which is truth. Amen? The word of God. 
I, I want you to see Jesus' response to the high priest when he questions him at 18, 19, 19 through 21. Look at this, and, and hold on, and let's finish out strong. Look at verses 19 through 21. This is before Jesus went to Pilate, and, and the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he'd been teaching them. Jesus, what are you teaching these people? And Jesus replied, everybody knows what I teach. I preach regularly in the synagogues and the temple where the people gather. I've not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? Ask those who heard me. They know what I said. If Jesus handed you the mic, could you answer? If Jesus had it said, listen, you can ask me, ask all them. They, they heard me. They know that my word is true. Ask those that follow me. Hey, man, get up here and tell them. Stands to preach, though, doesn't it? Jesus is teaching his followers the truth. His truth stands forever. It sets us free. He's praying for us to be made holy by our truth. Then I guess we ought to know it. I guess we ought to study it. I guess we ought to read it a lot. I guess we ought to saturate ourselves by the truth of the Word of God because all these laws are going to pass away one day. Listen, when you're on your deathbed, you ain't worried about any of this. You're worried about this. You're thinking about eternal things because God rules over that. Daddies, are y'all able to lead a devotion in your house if all this shuts down? If the live stream goes down, we have to step back. Everybody closes out for a month of Sundays, and you're the only preacher your, your house has got. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to tell your children and lead your family to know what Jesus has said? Are we ready to do that? In the places that we influence, the, the teams that we coach, the, the, the businesses that we own, the people that we supervise over, are we ready to live out the Word? Are we ready to answer their questions in relation to the Word of God? Or we're going to give an answer like we can't talk about that here. A lot of times we say we can't talk about that here because we don't know the answer. The kingdom people know the king's agenda. And it's written in his word. It's written on our hearts. And so we must explore the truth. This is why we talk about next steps and discipleship and Bible study and groups. It's not so that we can grow this number and just see how big we can get. It's so that God can continue to sanctify us by the truth. And we will be a light together in the world. Let me close with this. And all this talk about the king of kings. This is why the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6 verse 33. This is one of the first scriptures I have been memorized in my life. Matthew six thirty-three: Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. King James version in which I learned it. Seek ye First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first. That's what he meant. Seek ye first. It's just a reminder today that we are citizens in the kingdom. That's who we are according to the word of God. Let me close with this. Uh, when I was, I was a, in college, came back home to finish my degree. My dad was, was still working. My mom had retired by then. When she retired, she built a, uh, uh, she built a barn. And then she was trying to build a, a lot because she wanted horses and all this kind of stuff. And so uh, she enjoys them even to this day. But 
but she said, all right, if, if you're here during the summer and you're taking a few classes, how about instead of you going to work, you work for me and we're going to build a fence. And we built a fence all summer long. Sometimes you need a job of doing stuff like that so you know what you really want to do. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> we built a fence and it was the worst summer ever. I'm sure my mother, Mama, I treasure you and the memories we share together, and that's not one of them, right? And here's why, because, because we got a great picture of it, but it reminds me of like, man, it was hot that day. There's, when, when my mother was building a fence, she, she was not a farmer, so she was learning how to do it, but she, she was going to do it right, and she was doing it to perfection. So when we put that post in the ground, we dropped that Chris Oak post, and we put in that quick creek, and we filled it up, and every line we stretched was exactly perfectly straight from here to there. And we just, just felt like we just kept going all summer long. And we got to this place where we were just like, good gracious. I mean, it's really hot out here, and we're trying to get this thing straightened up. And we're having a problem with one of the posts. And all of a sudden, my uncle drives up, my Uncle Ed Black. He drives up the, the road there, and he comes out. And my mom said, oh, I'm so glad to see you. She said, we've got a problem. We just can't get this one exactly straight. Can you help us with this? And she started explaining to him why it was not in line, how it could be in line, all these things. I'll never forget it. He looked at her and he said, you ain't building a house. Put the thing in the ground. (laughs) Never forget it. And I was like, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Your mercies are new every morning, right? What he did was he brought perspective to a difficult situation. And when he brought the perspective, which was the truth, we were able to be freed up to live and work and move. The reason I believe God is having me to deliver a message like this is because I, I really feel like we've got to be careful because God would have us build that house and some of us just laying fence posts in the ground. That's really not going to be worth much when it comes to the end of all of it. We're holding a lot of rallies and less revivals. We need God. We need God. And so I'm going to invite you to this altar. Y'all want to pray over this election? Let's pray together. Let's do it. We want to pray silently. We want to pray alone. We want to pray together. Let's let's flood the altar today and let's do it. Let's do the work because the work is praying. Y'all want to do the work? Y'all want to do the work? Then let's study the Bible together. That's the work. Let's do it. Because we're fighting a battle that is much bigger than we think it is. Amen? Let's stand together. I want you to know before I pray that this, this altar is open for all of us. If we want to pray today, let's pray together. But maybe you want to join this church today and all you got to do is walk this aisle and just tell us, I, I want to join the church. Or maybe it's bigger than that. You're thinking, I need to be saved today. I need to be saved. I want to be right with God. I want to get my baptism in order. All you got to do is walk up and say some simple things. I need to be saved. I want to get baptized today. I've got questions today. And maybe you think that's all well and good, and I appreciate the invitation, but I'm not walking up there. Well, we'll stay around. Catch us, and we'll help you. But whatever it is God's Word and Spirit is guiding us to in our heart, let's be responsive to that today. Let's pray together as a church. Let's worship together as a church. Lord God, this is your word for this time. And we trust, Lord, that you are speaking to us. God, as we pray today, as we intercede on behalf of our leaders, I just pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak truth to us continuously. God, that we would be dedicated and devoted to your word over and above any other agenda. 
Oh God, that we would devote our time, our service, our communication, that we would take the name of Jesus with us. Lord, I pray that we would not be found guilty of giving more allegiance to a lesser thing. For you are the God who saves. You have reached down and made a way for us to be right with you forever. Lord, may your agenda be our agenda. And God, wherever we are, if we're a distance from you, I pray, God, we would respond now so we would know that you've closed the gap through your son. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. This altar is open for you.